Hello again, welcome to another episode of the Uranium Market Minute. Today is Wednesday, May 18th, and this is episode number 125. My name is Justin Hewn. I'm your host. I'm the founder and publisher of the Uranium Insider Pro Newsletter, the only investing newsletter that focuses solely on uranium and publishes on a regular monthly basis. As always, nothing that you see or hear in this podcast is intended to be investing advice. I'm not your financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Please always do your own due diligence when it comes to investing and always take responsibility for your own choices. All right. Pretty bloody day out there again in the markets, guys. Uh, S&P down over 4% on the day, um, racing the gains in the last couple of days and closing damn near at the lows of the day. Uranium shares did see a little bit of dip buying in that last hour, but still pretty nasty out there overall. We're going to look at those charts in just a moment. The mailbag section, I'm going to discuss some uh, points from an interview that uh, Grant Isaac from Cameco did this morning with B of A. Thought that was interesting and some uh, some good points to highlight there. Let's run through the daily scoreboard really quick and before we get to the charts and the mailbag section. Spot price flat, 48 bucks a pound mid-market, nothing really going on there. Spot closed at still a wide discount to NAV of minus 5%. And of course, that trusted trade down on the day. So that discount widened today with the risk off continuing in the broad markets and markets, generally speaking. Um, they're now sitting on 22.7 million in cash. Looks like they expended some of that cash probably for GNA expenses. That is less than 1% of its AUM of $2.68 billion. Um, they're unlikely to buy any uranium at this point until they can raise some more cash. And that is likely not happening until we see funds flowing back into the spot vehicle. Probably when we see risk come back on in the markets. When will that happen? We don't know. Will it happen? Of course it will. Turning to the ETFs, URA reported 230,000 shares of redemptions. URNM reported no change in outstanding shares. Uh, so those redemptions must have come probably on Friday. Um, still, the 3.4 million in mandated selling, not much, but still seeing some small redemptions here. Today, it's possible we might see some redemptions reported over the next few days from one or both of the ETFs. On that note, why don't we go ahead and look at the charts URA down 4.63% on the day, uh, pretty nasty, slightly underperforming the S&P as a broad basket of equities. URNM did actually a little bit worse than that. Um, however, the volumes are pretty low here, not panic selling here, just kind of risk off again. Um, doesn't look like there's a capitulative just bailing out of the sector. Uh, the sector fundamentals are as strong as ever, but we're just getting... Um, getting linked and joined at the hip with the broad markets here as risk remains off across markets. Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, like I said, trading down actually pretty heavily today, 4% on the day with the spot market relatively flat. Uh, so now we're probably at more like a 9% discount nav here as that discount steepens again with the markets going risk off. However, we are seeing declining volume in spot. So this is not, again, panic selling. This is not... Uh, uh, it's just the selling on the margins that really moves the stocks down. And of course, it's the buying on the margins that moves the stocks up. Um, so nice to see we're not seeing selling on a huge volume, but either way, still a big discount to NAV has spot vehicle um, just hamstrung. They can't do anything here, and it's not really helping the sector. Cameco also with a pretty nasty day down 2.67%, but significantly outperforming the drop in both ETFs and the S&P. Chemical remains one of the strongest stocks in the sector, closing just below that rising 200-day moving average, one of the stronger stocks across the uranium sector, and definitely one to watch going forward, considering that they are likely one of the main beneficiaries from this geopolitical repositioning that we are currently seeing as realignment. 
wanted to highlight the URNM versus the S&P. This is the pure play uranium ETF that owns 100% in miners. Um, it also has a smaller percentage of Cameco as URA does. And um, uh, URA has now a 22% holding in Cameco. So URNM underperforming the S&P today slightly, uh, but we're still above that rising trend line that we've held so far. We had an undercut low five days ago. Will that trend line hold? Really not sure. Honestly, the S&P and URNM could fall uh, in unison and we would see this chart move sideways. So it's very likely that we see something like that. Again, the broad market's just not looking strong here at all. The S&P, look at that candle, absolutely ugly, over 4% down on the day, barely saw any dip buying, erasing all of the gains of the three past trading days. That is not a good sign. And really, who wants to go long the S&P catching a falling knife without hearing the Fed uh, turn dovish, without hearing some positive numbers coming from jobs reports, coming from inflation, et cetera? Um, a lot of people think that there is possibly a recession coming and that the Fed is encouraging that with their rate hike regime. Um, I don't really have a strong opinion on that. I'm just looking at the charts here, and this is absolutely a bearish looking chart. So we'll have to see where this eventually finds support. And honestly, I think that comes when we have some signaling from the Fed, and we have not yet had that. So broad markets continue to weaken, bringing most other uh, asset classes down with them as people rush for liquidity. Not really crash territory here, but still overall weak, overall bearish. Okay, on the other hand, <laughs> the uranium fundamentals continue to improve, continuing to make this risk off weakness across the uranium markets as an unbelievable opportunity for anybody with a long-term horizon. Okay, so Grant Isaac, the CFO of Cameco, this morning interviewed with B of A at the Global Metals Mining and Steel Conference. A couple of interesting points that he mentioned, okay? He was asked about term contracting because they signed 40 million pounds in the first five weeks of the year, and they have not yet to sign any further long-term contracts. However, he did say, we're talking about being very early, the early innings of a contracting cycle, and we've never launched a contracting cycle from the base of this stronger prices before. Okay, so what does he mean? Previous contracting cycle, they started at a much lower base. They started, that contrast, contracting cycle started not far off the bottom for the commodity. We've seen multiple years of rise for the commodity at bottom at $18 a pound in 2016. We're now sitting at $48 a pound, which is down significantly from four weeks ago. Um, and so we have this solid base to start a contracting cycle. We have all of the elements of the fuel cycle and strong uptrends. I'm grinning here because I, I can understand what's going on here in the fuel cycle and the, the risk off situation in the markets that's affecting these shares is completely ignoring the unbelievable fundamental setup that is here and that will come to roost for these stocks. Um, we just need the markets to settle down here and for, uh, for the recognition of the fundamentals to affect the U308 market, which will happen. We have these knock-on effects coming from UF6 and, you, and uh, EUP. And so he did also talk about conversion. So the West, now the Western utilities are seeking out conversion with uh, Western suppliers of conversion. Now, what does that mean? Russia was 38% player in the global conversion market. Well, now that the bulk of the nuclear demand comes from the West, but the bulk of the conversion, the, and the bulk of the conversion also comes from the West, but they're not in parity, okay? The West conversion command, uh, demand that he mentioned per year, 35,000 tons. 
of, of, uh, of conversion demand from the West. The capacity in the West currently 20,000 tons. That's, that's a huge shortfall. That's more than a 50% shortfall in capacity for uh, the demand of conversion. Interesting, uh, the Converdine plant, uh, Converdine's metropolis plant in Illinois is set to come online next year. That's set to come online at reduced capacity. He's thinking they're planning on 7,000 tons. They'll probably try to ramp that up to 10,000 tons. And that still doesn't meet the annual average demand. So we'll have to see Arano and some other players with conversion facilities um, have to ramp up that capacity. And that's to meet average demand. That's not to, that's not to meet um, increased demand that comes with restocking. That is a very important point, restocking the destocking. Another important point that uh, Grant Isaac mentioned was that um, their Inkai JV. So Cameco has a joint venture uh, with Kazatomprom in Kazakhstan. That is the Inkai mine. It has been an unbelievably uh, reliable producing mine for many years. Cameco typically, their share of the mine, I believe is 49% off the top of my head. They get around four, uh, 4 million pounds a year from that 49%, but they can buy more from Kazakhstan. If they want to buy Kazakhstan, uh, Kazatomprom share, of production from that mine, they can, and they often have. In fact, that extra 4 million pounds, roughly, oftentimes, um, if they do purchase above and beyond, and even purchasing their JV amount counts as purchases. So in years past, you heard Cameco say, um, we're producing this much, and we need to do this much per purchasing in the market to fulfill our contractual demands. Well, some of those purchases were from their own Inkai JV. So they get around 4 million pounds a year from Inkai, and they can buy more. But what did he say? They're still seeing potential shipping problems. Um, they did mention insurance issues in the Q1 conference call. And um, the questioner did, the interviewer did ask him if that's still an issue. He basically said that the pounds from Inkai are staying in Kazakhstan right now because uh, the, the shipping route that they have tested in the past heading west is just not as reliable. It's possible they can do swaps. He didn't really mention that. There's material held at Camp Port Hope, um, Cameco's uh, facility in Canada. There's material held in France, and there's material held in the States at Converdine. And so these, you know, multiple entities own pounds at these uh, three primary conversion facilities where uranium and UF6 are held. So if Cameco wanted to, they could potentially um, swap some of those pounds that Kazakhstan um, has produced at the Inkai mine. Either way, that's highlighting that we're still seeing shipping issues coming from Kazakhstan. So overall, this is a pretty uh, incredible setup here. And I think that that was some really important points there, especially the point about the contracting cycle starting at these levels. And these price levels are not reflecting the prices that are needed to incentivize these mines. We have, we have Paladin um, planning on restarting Langer Heinrich mine. We have Cameco in the process of restarting MacArthur River, and uh, we're not even taking into account potential labor shortages, potential supply chain constraints. I think that the utilities um, believe that these mines are going to come right online and there's going to be no problems. And I think that is highly, highly unlikely. And it's possible, it's possible that supply chain problems and labor shortages that we are seeing globally are going to greatly impact mines coming back online that were on care and maintenance let alone development projects that the market is expecting 2025 plus to come online. So that's potentially a major, major problem going forward for supply. And I don't think the utilities are factoring that in. So they've got summer vacation coming up. They're sitting on a little bit of inventory that they have been drawing down. 
They are waiting to see if this Russia situation is going to calm down and pass and they can go back to seeking pounds from that reliable supplier, which I think the writing's on the wall for that, but they are apparently in denial and still receiving deliveries from previous contracts from Russia, apparently. Um, and they're also waiting to see, well, are markets uh, really not going to be flowing financials, uh, financial funds back into SPUT? Is that going to be the case? Um, I think that they're drastically misinformed with that. I think that SPUT is going to come back with a vengeance when the markets go back to risk on. When does that happen? I don't know. The Fed is going to pivot at some point, but they're sticking to their guns with rate hikes and the market doesn't like it. So when risk comes back, we are absolutely going to scream higher. And I expect to see those funds come back in flow back in heavily into SPUT, and we are going to have some very, very drastic moves up, and that can happen at any time. It's what makes this market so volatile, very difficult to pick bottoms, and when it moves, it moves hard. All right, hopefully that was helpful. Um, wanted to mention again that Friday, uh, two days from now, May 20th, is going to be our members webinar. I will not be doing a market minute that day, so um, uh, don't expect to see that on Friday. I will be here tomorrow. Uh, if you are a member, I hope to see you there. If you're not a member and are interested, you can get a sample of our newsletter. Click the link in the description below, and we hope to see you there. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Take care. See you tomorrow. Cheers.